Hi, and welcome to the Working Differently in Extension podcast. I'm Bob Birch. Great to have you along today as we're going to talk a little bit about the Horizon report, a, a report that uh, eExtension um, had done a couple of years ago. And um, the summary of that report, and that report itself, is the topic of a recent commentary in the Journal of Extension called the Event Horizon for the Horizon Report, Inclusivity in Extension Programs, and the author of that report is joining us today. Jane Creighton is an Extension Agent for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Math, and 4-H Youth Development at Colorado State University Extension in Pueblo County. Jane, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, you're welcome. So what prompted you to write this commentary? What was the spark that set it off? Well, um, I come to extension from uh, the technology industry. Um, I've worked in a lot of uh, technology labs at universities and um, my experience as a female on technology teams and the lack of other um, diverse persons involved in much of those technology teams has always had me interested in uh, diversity in technology. Um, when this report uh, was published, I immediately was concerned that there was no mention about um, gender or diversity, cultural diversity within STEM programs. And I immediately started thinking about the implications of not discussing um, this societal phenomenon. And I believe that in the wake of the Me Too movement, that this is now um, really coming to light in the public sphere, and I felt a need to express um, my viewpoints about how extension could be missing the mark and missing our potential demographics in the future without having this conversation regarding emergent technologies and STEM programming. Yeah, you brought up the Me Too movement. Um, and in your commentary, you, you talk about the gender discrimination and sexual harassment that occurs in, uh, as you wrote, a male-dominated atmosphere in, in sort of the STEM world. Uh, this might be a sort of a chicken and egg question. I don't know if it's, if it's uh, super fair, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think the discrimination and harassment are tied to the male domination in STEM or to something about STEM itself? No, I think it is tied to uh, the the male and white male domination in STEM. Um, I think it actually has a lot of roots in and even the construction of our societal norms and um, and it's pervasive throughout society in a bunch of other industries as well as technology. However, um, when we're talking about um, the, the movement of STEM education as a movement, as a national movement for education, we have to be thinking about inclusivity within that. Otherwise, we are really just going to be pushing um, a specific class and a specific type of people into that movement and really only uh, supporting their successes in that movement. And I think it's really important for um, STEM professionals to be cognizant of, of that kind of um, culture 
norms and 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 cultural aspects that could have a negative effect on the future of of STEM educated professionals in the United States. Do you think there's something? Um, well, let me put it this way. Is this area of extension work unique or is this really just related to cooperative extensions overall um, record, I guess, uh, in diversity and inclusion? Well, um, from what I can tell, and I'm relatively new to extension, um, but from what I can tell and in participating and in uh, discussions regarding diversity in extension and um, hearing most recently Dr. Reed talk about the diversity issues within extension, it seems to be um, an issue surrounding extension professionals and their programs um, we just are not reaching a lot of um, emerging cultures, especially the new Asian and Hispanic cultures that are are ever growing in our country. And um, I think that if we want to remain relevant as uh, extension as a as a resource base um, and opportunity for people to seek and gather information, I think that we need to do a better job of making sure that those new cultures that are becoming dominant are also aware of our programming and feel welcome to participate in that programming. You mentioned Dr. Reed. That's that's Dr. Scott Reed from Oregon State University. Is that? That's correct. Right. Um, and so you, you mentioned him in the commentary that he, he gave a talk uh, at Colorado State. Um, I think you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but were there, were there other things about that that really struck you? Obviously, it had an impact since you mentioned it in the commentary. Yeah, it had a great impact on my experience. You know, I really didn't know where I fit into extension as a technologist and a STEM educator who, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of diverse cultures and genders in technology and um, with my, my work at the Institute of American Indian Arts and University of New Mexico. And so um, when he was talking at our annual forum meeting, he really gave um, importance to the diversity aspects, but also to the urgency, sense of urgency that extension professionals need to start including um, these emerging technologies into their programming. And um, I think that the culture shift is happening, but it's slow. Um, you know, a lot of extension professionals um, aren't uh, technologists. They come to extension with a bunch of other uh, great assets and knowledge bases. However, um, I think that in order for extension to remain relevant and, and competitive with other resources that are out there, um, we definitely need to be um, leaders in technology as well as leaders in making our programs as diverse and, and inclusive. So his, his comments were uh, really struck with me on, you know, hitting on the, the need for inclusive technology-based educational programs and extension really struck me and, and, and made me feel like my work 
And the role that I was in was actually really valuable and needed and that I could bring perspective and insight into that. You know, one of the things you wrote in the commentary was you refer to the changing to changing the naive conceptions about STEM mm -hmm. uh, as a part of implementing that. What are those naive conceptions? Um, well, that, you know, uh, males are better at math or better at science than females or, or maybe better than other cultures that maybe they're not interested in learning about technology. Um, some naive conceptions in that way. I think that a lot of it has to do with social stigmas and stereotypes that have been brought about, about um, throughout our experience. Um, and everyone has a frame of reference about how they interpret those experiences. And, and that plays a role on the individual's self-efficacy. Um, and, and so I think that it's, um, it's really important to understand those naive conceptions and build programs that uh, help the individuals or the clients that we're working with overcome those stereotypes and, and instead build self-confidence and hopefully help them uh, learn to be intrinsically motivated to advance their education in these fields. So the focus in your commentary, I mean, you know, because of the title really too, <laughs> is on the, on the Horizon report. Um, and you've mentioned already sort of the absence of those diversity and, and inclusivity issues in that framework. Why, why do you think, uh, why do you think it, sh it is important that, you know, those kinds of issues uh, be in a report, in a report like the Horizon Report? Because I think that um, so many people, um, you know, may have read this report and they're probably overwhelmed with even the fact of thinking about including technology in a different way or thinking about um, how they can include this emergent technology into their programs is intimidating. And unfortunately, when things are new and hard to learn for people, they kind of um, end up relying on traditional programming to help implement that. And unfortunately, a lot of traditional programming is also riddled with stereotypes. And so I think that um, this discussion needs to be brought about and, and needs to be highlighted so that um, extension professionals who may attempt to include some of these new and emergent technologies into their programs have the tools to really um, help it be directed effectively and efficiently for their client needs and, and most importantly so that they are reaching clients um, who may not have opportunities in these fields um, through other means. And I think that is really a, a place where extension professionals can um, gain headway is in broadening our impacts to um, more diverse people and, and uh, cultures and genders. And I think that it's important that we don't spur greater um, issues with uh, the STEM fields um, by trying to implement these without being thoughtful in our impl implementation. 
you mentioned some of the things that we might consider, some paths that we might take to, um, you know, to address diversity and, and inclusivity issues when uh, delivering the STEM programming. Um, can you talk about some of those? You start with mentioning um, sort of gender-specific um, programming. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, gender-specific programming is, is a really important place to start just simply because half the population is one gender and, and versus the other. And so I think that so many of these uh, technology programs can end up being male-dominated. I teach a lot of technology programming for youth, and oftentimes, you know, situations arise where boys will try to take projects out of the hands of girls to complete them or or try to assert their dominant knowledge over a girl and a girl just kind of sometimes withdraws and doesn't speak up and assert herself to say no I'm solving this problem let me continue and I think that if uh, educators aren't conscious about those um, those stereotypes and about those kinds of interactions between um, between their students that, uh, you know, they could be making things worse. And one example is even the pinkification of things, you know, um, making tools pink and, and things like that. It's, it, it also helps kind of um, exacerbate the gender issues that are so pervasive in STEM fields. And so I think that um, really being conscious about that and, and making sure that we are really building a, a community of inclusivity around our STEM programs is super important. You mentioned uh, in the commentary directly maker spaces and that in mm -hmm. what you call the, you know, the possibility that they become kind of a boys or toys for boys uh, atmosphere. Um, can you talk about that a little bit more? I thought that was really an interesting point. And, and uh, to be honest, you know, I think uh, we hear about maker spaces also speak for myself and I get excited. It was like, Oh, this is, this is an interesting new uh, way for extension to, uh, deliver programming, a new model kind of uh, for what extension work is. Um, and honest, you know, I just never, never occurred to me. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been involved in the maker movement since before it was even considered the maker movement. I, I ran an emergent technology program in Colorado called DorkBot, which was a hacker innovator meetup. And um, it was, it was pretty obvious in those early years that it was definitely a male-dominated field and even back in the day I tried to host um, you know a lot of programs that included females on the lineup and even some female only um, events and I think that it's really important for us to think about that within the realm of maker movement today um, there are mostly men involved in the maker movement. They're the highest uh, white males are, are the biggest uh, attendees of maker programs. And um, they are highlighted more than any other maker in Make Magazine. 
Um, so I think that it's, it's definitely a continuation of that kind of cultural stereotype within the maker movement, but the maker movement and even make media is aware of the stereotype and they're actively trying to engage and, and help change that culture. They've been including a lot more female makers on the covers of their, um, magazines and maker spaces, um, are, are seeing some rise in, in participation by females. However, it's still male-dominated. And until we really are supporting and expanding um, diversity at even the lowest level um, kind of participation models of like even just a one-off of our event or whatever, um, we're not going to see those, those cultures change um, because it's it's much easier for a girl or a minority just to say I don't want to deal with this and walk away, and that's not that's not moving forward or bringing about equality. All too often, minorities and girls basically opt out to avoid conflict, and um, and conflict is often seen by them as as you know a very negative thing when in fact the, the conflict should probably be a, a positive uh, reevaluation of, of the situation. And so I think that um, it's really important, especially as extension professionals, um, expand their involvement in the maker movement and working with maker spaces and um, collaborating with maker fairs that we really make a conscious effort to be inclusive in our programming and bring in people who represent the diversity of our communities. Another thing that you wrote was that the Horizon Report doesn't address the wicked challenges of expanding diversity in emergent technologies. What, what do you, what makes those challenges so complex? Can you sort of, enlighten us a little bit on, on yeah. the well, complexity of that? They're, they're complex because it's not just one solvable issue or problem. It's multiple problems and multiple issues layered even throughout society. I mean, as of right now, there's just, you know, there's more men in government than women. There's not a lot of diversity in government. Um, so, you know, uh, even, when you look back at religion or any of these other big cultural markers in, in the world and in knowledge, accumulating knowledge, um, women and diversities are still playing catch up, even in the 21st century. And I think that these problems are, are so wicked because of the complexity and the, um, the associated um, challenges that they may have, um, that it's, it's not as simple as, well, let's just host a, a female tech event, or let's just host a tech event in Spanish. It's not that easy. It's, it's more complex than that. And it really takes thoughtful, um, and in, in um, intentional, um, programming to really make impacts and changes. And so I think 
that you know as much as we can as extension professionals learn to learn about these wicked problems and and realize we're not going to solve it all just as an individual but our overall contribution to being more aware and being working differently and and working more inclusively is going to bring that greater bigger impact over time are you seeing these issues play out in your work in Colorado and working with STEM and, and maybe how is that happening? Um, definitely. I, I, uh, I'm definitely working um, intentionally to make sure that my programs are inclusive and diverse. Um, some of the things that I've done, for example, is um, I hosted the uh, Mini Maker Fair here in Pueblo um, and really sought to include um, a diverse um, planning committee invited makers who weren't um, traditional makers in the sense of of what you know normal or more or not normal, but as, as a, to what the norm is out there. And and so um, I think that was like the first thing is gathering stakeholders and really making sure that your um, community partners represent that diversity is one thing that I've really taken on to consideration. The other thing is, is that, um, you know, I also run a, um, a lot of after school programs. And I worked specifically with the STEM coordinator most recently to target specific schools and specific neighborhoods for programs. So for instance, um, I just hosted a spring break camp um, on the east side of Pueblo, and we didn't advertise it to all of our um, potential clients throughout the county. We actually only advertised it to select schools in select neighborhoods that were most at risk and and highly diverse in order. And we made the um, the entire program available for free to them um, through scholarships. And we had 100% of our youth enrolled um, were receiving a scholarship for this program. And it was entirely grant funded. And I think that those kinds of intentional outreach to really reach a specific demographic, and in our case, we were really trying to reach the Latino and Hispanic demographic on the east side, which is the poorest, one of the poorest communities in Pueblo, yeah, so really making that intentional effort to work with, uh, you know, community stakeholders who have access to some of these potential clients to really help recruit um, a specific demographic of student that we wanted to have impact in. And we know that the Latino and Hispanic youth in some of our neighborhoods are not getting uh, the same kind of STEM education that they might in a different neighborhood in our city. And they just don't have access to those resources as well. So making an int intentional effort to recruit that specific demographic is really important. One of the other things that you that you mentioned in the commentary is um, sort of alludes to extensions recent emphasis on innovation. What do you think of our focus on innovation right now? I think it's it's absolutely necessary. I uh, <laughs> I didn't know what extension was before I took this position. 
And so that right there tells you that extension wasn't even a resource for me as, as a white woman. Um, and so I think that we're missing our mark. And I think that if extension professionals want to remain competitive as a resource for research-based information and delivery of said research-based programs, that we absolutely have to be reaching a more diverse market. Um, we're not we're not reaching that market now. And innovation is hugely important in that because not only do you have to be innovative in the way that you work and develop and design your programs, but you also need to think about how, um, if you are going to reach these new clients, what kinds of resources and what kinds of things do they need to be learning so that they can be competitive and more successful in their lives. And I think that extension absolutely has um, the ability to use innovation in order to broaden our impacts. You mentioned a little bit, I think, um, about collaboration, about just like when you were talking about your, your mini maker fair and who you included on the, on the planning committee. Um, but you do mention collaboration as, as an important element of um, making sure that we're, you know, a, uh, involving more diverse audiences. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, you certainly can't serve a group of people and a culture of people without understanding them. And one of the best ways to do that is to collaborate with other experts in your community who represent that diversity. So finding uh, people who have the skills Maybe you are interested in hosting a soldering class and you're thinking about hosting it on the east side of Pueblo to a bunch of Hispanic and Latino youth. Well, if I just bring in, you know, a bunch of white people to teach soldering, are we really building any sort of um, experience where they can connect to that person? If I find someone in my community who has those soldering skills, who is of their culture and who can really serve as a mentor and a role model for them, then that impact is that much more important. And that person brings on their own experience as a community member to that. And so in my experience, they're more than happy to help because they realize that this is an opportunity for them to give back to their own community. But I also see the connection between the client and, and your community partner is greatly impacted and in that collaboration and inclusivity just broadens and grows and you can see how um, the self-efficacy of, of those clients is definitely increased because they can visualize themselves being that successful person. So what's on your desk right now? What's your next big project that you're working on? Um, we are about to start an e-textiles after camp. It's uh, funded from Cognizance Making the Future grant at Sunset Park. 
And that was one of five schools that we targeted in low income at risk areas. Um, and so we have 17 youth going to start. We're going to be teaching them about the vinyl cutter and also they'll be uh, each receiving a lily pad uh, e-textile kit where they'll be working through the projects learning about microcontrollers leds how to um, solder and build circuits and this is for fourth and fifth graders so it's a really great opportunity to um, work with youth in in the maker mindset um, so we're really excited about this next project. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And thanks for taking the time to do the commentary. Uh, it was awesome and thought provoking. Um, and uh, I'm excited to have you as a colleague. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the invite. Jane Creighton is an extension agent for science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, and 4-H youth development at Colorado State University Extension in Pueblo County. She's the author of a recent commentary in the Journal of Extension called The Event Horizon for the Horizon Report, Inclusivity in Extension Programs. Thanks so much for joining us for the Working Differently in Extension podcast. As always, you can find all of the podcasts at soundcloud.com slash working differently. You can find show notes at bobbirch.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter using the handle at WDNEXT. Our theme music is Noon's Acid by And Nobody Cared, used under a Creative Commons license. Thanks so much for joining us again. Talk to you soon.